Hello, and welcome to The Accidental Curator. Uh, my name is George Bathgate. This is episode 16, and I'm coming to you from Kitsilino, my little home office studio in Kitsilino, where I do uh, most of my recording. Uh, on occasion, I'm able to bring my equipment over to Main Island, where I have the actual art gallery cafe, and do a little uh, kind of recording, broadcasting, podcasting from there. But um, it's a beautiful day out today. It's, uh, what is it, June the 28th. And uh, summer seems to be here, you know, after a very stop and start, long, kind of cold, gray, uh, uh, rainy winter. So, um, yeah, June 28th. Uh, I am in my summer season right now for the cafe, for the gallery. And it creates just a, a generalized busyness in my life, which prohibits me from doing these podcasts very frequently. So the last one was in March, I think, and this might be the longest break I've had between podcasting. But coming to you today, and I've got a short story because because of the general busyness that I have right now, um, I'm giving you a short story today. It, I don't think it'll be more than about 10 minutes. But um, I'm also trying to create a book of short stories um, out of a lot of these podcast um these podcasts I've generated, the short stories I've generated over the last six or seven years, and I'm doing a self-publishing uh, thing through Amazon, which has been a little more problematic than I anticipated. It's actually more complex. I, wear, I, do, I do most of my writing on Word, Word doc, but I've never been a great formatting guy. I don't really understand all of the intricacies of formatting. So just another project that I'm working on. It's one of the creative things I'm doing. But like I was saying, most of my energy is now going towards the Gallery Cafe. And it's been uh, fun so far. I've had two art openings. I have two more scheduled for the summer months. And uh, the art, art openings are fun. It's uh, incredibly busy over on the island. And lots of happy people. One thing I love about running the Gallery Cafe is I generally deal with happy people. Either Maine Islanders are happy because they live there and they live in this beautiful setting or tourists are coming over and uh, just enjoying their their lives you know having a holiday and getting to explore around so that's all fun so um, without further ado I think I'm going to uh, read to you my short story and today episode 16 is called Saved by Demizzles It was late summer 1973, and I was a long-haired 18-year-old kid about to embark on my post-high school round-the-world odyssey of personal discovery and fun. In preparation for the cross-Canada train trip to Montreal, where my best friend Keith and I would catch our flight to Amsterdam, I decided to leave my parents' home in Victoria and stay in Vancouver for a few weeks, where my brother-in-law had arranged shared accommodation for me at his secretary's apartment. Barb was a much older single mother of one. She was 23 and carries the distinction as being the woman to whom I lost my virginity in the days and weeks prior to the departure for distant lands. Wow, this is great, I thought. Exotic travel and sex. I should have left mom and dad's place years ago. Now, 
what the parental home may lack in terms of exotic and erotic freedom is oftentimes compensated for by its protective cocoon. My first sexual encounter would also be my first, but sadly not my last, encounter with venereal disease. Yes, young Georgie had the clap. Uh, but I was not bitter or angry. After all, I'd finally had sex. And the doctor at the walk-in clinic loaded me up with enough pharmaceuticals to kill a horse and also ensure that I could catch my train on time. Thank God for antibiotics and sex. If you've ever caught the train across Canada, you'll know, but it bears repeating, that it's an absolutely gorgeous journey and a very leisurely and civilized way to travel. Grand Canadian vistas viewed from spacious seating areas through large picture windows. Because Keith and I were budget travelers, we did not rent a stateroom, choosing instead to spend the four-day trip either wandering to the dining car or residing in our ample seats. This, of course, left us exposed to interactions with the other passengers. Late one evening, before we pulled into Montreal, a fellow whom we'd never seen before approached us with an offer of free drugs, MDA in powdered format, which he carried in a small plastic bag. Without any forethought or self-protective consideration, we ingested as much as his largesse would allow, thanking him profusely, chatting with him briefly, and after a short time he left, never to be seen again. We waited patiently for the effects to kick in. After a time, I said to Keith, I'm not feeling anything. You? No, he replied. I wonder what that shit was. We remained in our seats with our advancing disappointment and mild apprehension. Maybe it was baking soda, said Keith, or rat poison, I countered, half-jokingly. Either way, apprehension is not an ideal state from which to enjoy a good night's sleep. We arrived in Montreal early the next morning, feeling a little burnt out but eager to embark on the next stage of our journey. Transatlantic flight! Europe! Yay! By the time we were in the air, I started to notice that I wasn't feeling so great. I had a mild headache, felt slightly feverish, and had increasing difficulty swallowing. My throat felt constricted and scratchy. I might be coming down with a cold, I told my buddy. Ah, oh, that's a drag, man. Why don't you ask the stewardess if they have any pills for that? Good idea, I thought. The ever-obliging and helpful flight attendant hauled out the plane's stash of pharmaceuticals and gave me two pills to ease my plight. Painstakingly, I swallowed them, not thinking for a moment that perhaps, just perhaps, adding more chemicals into my system on top of the recent antibiotics and mystery drug might be unwise. I thanked her and smiled flirtatiously in my new role as a non-virgin. Not surprisingly, the pills didn't work, and by the time we landed in Amsterdam on a Sunday, I was feeling considerably worse, and now had a noticeable rash on my torso comprising of small, raised red spots. Hey man, I don't know what I've got, but I, I feel like shit, and I think I need to have this looked at. Let's ditch our backpacks at the hostel and go find a doctor, I said. Where are we going to find a doctor on a Sunday in a foreign country, replied Keith. Remember, it's 1973. No internet, no smartphones, or handy apps. We didn't even have credit cards. 
American Express checks, a copy of the Lonely Planet Guide, and the optimism of youth were the tools with which all obstacles would be overcome. Let's ask the guy at the hostel front desk, I said. Come on. Red Light District, said the hostel guy. You can find anything you want in the Red Light District. Here. He slid a piece of paper across the reception desk with an address on it, making sure not to touch my hand for fear of infection. God bless the Dutch and their quadrilingualism. The hostile guy spoke impeccable English, German, and French on top of his native Dutch. And their progressive ways. Anything we want. On a Sunday, no less. How civilized. We made our way to Amsterdam's world-famous Rossebert, seeking medical salvation. The unabashed display of prostitution and open accessibility of soft drugs made me forget momentarily that I was dying of an unnamed illness. For two parochial lads from the repressive social credit province of British Columbia, seeing bars open, serving alcohol, on a Sunday was perhaps even more of a revelation to this permissive wonderland of vice that the Dutch had created. I knew I was going to like it here if I survived my plague. The bar looked seedy and nondescript, an open doorway into darkness with early 70s rock music and reggae pounding from within. As we attempted to pass a half dozen smallish, brown-skinned young Moluccan males, some with knives hanging from their belts, exited the bar and surrounded us in a circle. Hey man, where you boys be going? You got no need to be running off. Why don't you come into the bar and buy us a drink, man? Parochial or otherwise, Keith and I both knew what it meant to be surrounded by a slightly intimidating pack of males. This kind of threat plays out in schoolyards around the world and is not an uncommon experience of young males everywhere. The knives were an unfamiliar twist. My friend is sick and needs to see a doctor, said Keith, going for the sympathy play. Unconvinced, our new best drinking buddies shuffled a bit and looked slyly at each other without any sign of backing down. Realizing that they needed further convincing, and in one momentarily clever strategic move, I lifted my t-shirt up to my chest to expose my torso covered in bright red spots. Whoa, well, man, you got the mizzles, said the ringleader, now with a tone of fear and dread. He and his cronies had all immediately taken about five steps backwards when they saw me covered with an apparent communicable illness. You gonna need a doctor. Go that way, he pointed further down the street as he and his mates slunk back into the bar, defeated by demizzles. Feeling relieved by this narrow escape, we carried on with our medical mission of mercy. How are you feeling, man? asked Keith. Shitty, I replied. I think we've strayed from the recommended sites of the official tourist guide. Are we almost there? I think so. According to hostel guy's instructions, it's just a bit further, up Niewizdisch Wurbagenwal. Come on. The doctor's office was on the second floor of a three-story brick-and-stone walk-up, down a poorly lit hallway, the wooden door with the frosted pane read, Dr. Willem de Ritter, room 216. I knocked. A gravelly male voice said, Come in in. Inside the room, sitting behind a wooden office desk with a cigarette in his mouth, sat the doctor, languidly petting the head of a red setter. The room was stale with cigarette smoke, and on the desk sat an ashtray full of cigarette butts.
Between cigarettes and strokes of his faithful pet's head, the doctor explored my throat and infected torso with his nicotine-stained fingers. I think you have an infection, he said. I will give you some pills, antibiotica, which will clear up your problem in a few days. Now, being the naive and as yet unworldly and trusting sort that I was, of older, more experienced women, of strangers on a train, of the medical acumen of stewardesses, and of doctors in red light districts on a Sunday, I took the pills. Later that night, back at the youth hostel, I lay in my bunk wrapped in my sleeping bag, shivering, shaking, and bathed in sweat from fever and a mild delirium. The red spots had now spread to my groin, upper arms, and back. The first day of my overseas adventure had taken some unexpected twists. It would be a few years before I made the connection between my pharmaceutical overdose, too many drugs in too short a time, and my mystery illness, longer still before I understood the political plight of young Moluccan men in the Netherlands. Despite my near-death pharmaceutical misadventure, we got lucky on this day and may have accidentally been saved by demizzles. More reliable street smarts would definitely be required to get us safely through the rest of this trip. Here's a little addenda for you from Wikipedia about the Moluccan people. In case you're unaware or thought I was mispronouncing Moroccan people. Now the Moluccans are a people from the Maluku Islands, an archipelago in eastern Indonesia. When Indonesia gained independence from the Dutch in 1950, the Republic of Maluku tried to secede, supported by the Netherlands. When that movement was defeated, 12,000 Moluccans were transported to Holland, where they were discharged on arrival, not allowed to work, given pocket money, and temporarily housed in camps. Now, because the Dutch government never made any effort to help the Moluccans establish their republic, this marginalization radicalized young Moluccans during the 70s in the Netherlands, which included a train hijacking in 1975, taking hostages at De Punt in Groningen and at a school in Bovensmild. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks very much for uh, listening to today's uh, podcast. That was uh, Saved by the Mizzles, episode 16 of The Accidental Curator. And once again, I'm George Bathgate. Um, yeah, this might be the last podcast I make until I would say at least September because, uh, July and August are my all time busiest months of the year. It's, it is the tourist season and my business is quite, uh, sort of summer oriented. So, um, wishing you all the best with summer. Have a great one. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, I am creating a, a book. It's a dozen short stories, and it's not just going to be a rehash of the podcasts, but it's going to be a collection of things I've written either in my, um, either of my two uh, websites. I've got a website for uh, my gallery, which is shabasana.ca, or my creative website, which is clayandbone.com. So you may have read these, you may have seen them or not. And in any case, it's just sort of a fun project for me. I'm just learning about uh, publishing, so... 
I'll make mention of that as soon as it's out, uh, but might not be till the fall. Anyway, hope you're well, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>